So let me encourage you to grab a copy of God's Word um, and turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 3. Um, if you don't have a Bible with you or, or one on your phone, we've got Bibles in the back. You'll see at the entrance you can grab those. Um, and the Bibles we provide this morning will be on page 1016, 1 Peter chapter 3. We're going to be in verse 18. Well, most, if not all of us, have experienced suffering to one degree or another. And for many, this problem of suffering and pain and brokenness is one of the biggest problems for some with Christianity. And so this morning, the big question that we are going to get after is this. Why is life riddled with so much suffering? And brokenness. Why is life riddled with so much suffering and brokenness? The reason this question poses such a big problem to many because there are questions that are lying underneath this main question. For instance, what, what's really going on and what we're asking is, God, if you're there, why? And God, if you are there, do you even care. Why do you allow so much suffering and brokenness? Is this really the way that you created this world to be? Is this how you intended for things to be? And as we ask these questions, many ideas and and examples of suffering come to our mind. For instance, like the 7.9 earthquake that hit Nepal and killed 9,000 people and killed and and injured over 23,000. God, are you there? Do you care? The Syrian refugee crisis, not only have over 220,000 people been killed through the civil war, half of them being civilians. The UN estimates that nearly 7.6 million people have been internally displaced. God, Do you see all of this that's going on? And I could continue. What about ISIS? The church shootings at Emanuel AME in Charleston, South Carolina. The light that's been shed on Planned Parenthood and and everything that is going with the killing and selling of the fetuses. The tragic death of Baby Doe that we just found out yesterday, right? What is her name? Bella. God, do do you see this? Like, this is the world that you created. Are you going to do anything about this evil and suffering and brokenness? And it continues. What about the over 153 million orphans in the world today? What about the 400,000 that are in the U.S. foster care system and the 30,000 of those who age out every year without a forever home? What about the many children enslaved in sex trafficking, child labor, and the millions who have little to no food to eat? I could keep on going. But maybe for you that suffering is, is still distant. But let's try to get a little bit more personal. Has anyone experienced a broken marriage through divorce or through affairs? 
What about a broken relationship? Has anybody had a friend that just betrayed them? And then you were just left with complete brokenness over that. Maybe someone close to you has died. Maybe someone close to you has betrayed you. Maybe it's a lost job. Maybe it's sickness. Maybe it's the news that you found out that you have aggressive and incurable cancer. The news that many receive daily. Or maybe it's the news that you've got a disability that will never go away. God, if you're there, do you even care? Why aren't you doing anything? If you're good and all-powerful, why would you allow so much suffering and brokenness to continue? Can any of you relate? You see, underlying this question of why life is riddled with so much suffering and brokenness is an attack and finger pointing to God. This is all your fault. And what we need most today is to hear God clearly speak to us in this matter. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at one verse in 1 Peter. Seriously, we're going as simple as we can get. We're going to go one verse. 1 Peter was a book in the New Testament that was written by one of Jesus' disciples. Peter. You guys know Peter who denied Christ three times? And yet he was the one who preached at Pentecost and the church was birthed. This is that Peter. He wrote to Christians who were experiencing severe suffering in the world. In fact, 26% of all the references to suffering in the New Testament occur in this book. And so this is a book about suffering. There's much that we can learn about suffering from 1 Peter, but we're just going to limit ourselves to one verse today. And it's, it's one verse that takes us to the climax of all of history. It is the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. And so what we want to do today is to, to say, God, what can you teach us about suffering and brokenness as we look to the life and death and resurrection of Christ. So 1 Peter chapter 3 beginning in verse 18. The word of God says this. For Christ also suffered once for sins. The righteous for the unrighteous that he might bring us to God. I want to read that one more time. I just want to let these truths seek in. And then as we go and unpack them, God says this, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. There are four truths this morning from this text that I want to share with you today about how we should think rightly about suffering and brokenness. And the first one is this. God is not the author of your suffering. Look back at the text here with me. It says, for Christ also suffered once for sins. Why did Jesus suffer? He suffered for sins. Jesus Christ came to this earth. He suffered and he died in order to solve the problem of sin. You see, in a nutshell, suffering exists 
because of sin. There it is. We can wrap up and go home for the day. That doesn't leave us too comforting, right? Suffering exists because of sin, but it was not always this way. You see, in the beginning, we see in God's design, in God's original design, that everything God made was good. If we were to go back to Genesis chapter 1, right after the first chapter of creation, God gives us a summary statement. He says, God saw everything that he made. Indeed, everything was very good. You see, in the beginning, there was no pain, no suffering, no sickness, no death. Nothing was broken. Nothing. Did you get that? Nothing was broken. You had the people of God and the presence of God and the place of God. And that's key for us to think about suffering and and even where we might find hope. You see, God created people, and then you had his place, the garden, and then you had his presence. You see, in the presence of God, that is where we find hope in the midst of suffering and brokenness. But it didn't take long. In Genesis chapter 3, the story continues And we learn that God gave Adam and Eve a certain amount of freedom to rule over the earth and to make decisions. But yet he told them one thing. He said, you can eat of all of the trees, but do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat of it, you will die. And you guys know the story. What happened? Adam and Eve became wise in their own eyes, and rejected the wisdom of God and ate of the tree. They said, we want to determine right and wrong. And God was saying, no, trust me, I'm good. I know all things. I am a, I'm a heavenly father. I care for you. I will provide for you. I know what is good. I know what is evil. And they rejected that. And because of that, their Rebellion led to cosmic ramifications. You see, sin not only entered into their hearts, it spread like a virus infecting all of creation. Not one square inch of creation has been spared. The brokenness that resulted from their sin. And their sin has been passed down from generation to generation, to generation, to generation. You see, Jesus said, sorry, God said, if you eat of the tree, what's going to happen? You're going to die. Not only did they get kicked out of the garden, the place and presence of God, they were separated from God. Their relationship was broken. But this whole earth is now broken. We learn as we continue to read the story that that their sin had not only personal ramifications, but it had global and cosmic ramifications. So that things that we see today, like Hurricane Katrina's, that come and kill many, These natural disasters that we see in our world today, like floods, 
and, and we could go on, are a result of the groaning that this creation is going through because of the brokenness even from sin. So not only do we experience physical death, and you know what? None of us will escape that. Let's just confront the brutal facts today, right? As we talk about suffering and pain, none of us will escape death. I may, be, I may get sick and I may take some medicine and I may get well, but one day I'm still gonna face death. And so we look and we see death is, is the ultimate brokenness. And yet, not only do we experience physical death, we experience spiritual death that we have been separated from God. So this truth, God is not the author of your suffering. Brokenness and suffering is the result of sin. This means that instead of pointing the finger to God, we've actually got to turn it around. Because Adam and Eve were representative of all that would follow. We say, hey, if I were in their place, I wouldn't have made the decisions they made. But they were representing all of us so that it's as if I sinned and ate of that tree when they ate of that tree. And so I'm just as guilty. And so instead of saying, God, why? I turned the, the finger around and I look at myself because of the sin that we have brought into the world. But you could say, well, then why did God allow Adam and Eve to rebel? What was the other option? He could have removed their freedom, Right? Is that what we want? Let's just make them robots and, and they'll do exactly what I want them to do. You see, as soon as God goes down that route, well then we, re, we lose the, the freedom to respond in love and worship. And yet God created us with a certain amount of freedom. It's one of the mysteries that we see in the Bible that God is completely sovereign and yet God has given us a certain amount of freedom to love him and to worship him. But you still ask, why does God allow suffering to continue, especially the kind of suffering that seems so pointless? pointless. If God is so good and powerful, why wouldn't he stop it? Tim Keller's written a great chapter in his book, Reason for God. And he notes this. He spends an entire chapter on this. And he, he, he notes along with other philosophers a flaw in this reasoning. He says that there's a hidden premise in the argument that goes something like this. I think we got on the screen. If evil appears pointless to me, then it must be pointless. Now who's determining truth there? I am. If I can't see a point, well then there must not be be a point. So he continues and he highlights this. He says, just because you can't see or imagine a good reason why, might, why God might allow something to happen doesn't mean there can't be one. Again, we see lurking within supposedly hard-nosed skepticism an enormous faith in one's own cognitive faculties. If our minds can't plumb the depths of the universe for good answers to suffering, well then, there can't be any. This is blind faith of a high order. Do you see? Many point to the problem of evil as an argument against the existence of God. And yet what they're doing is a blind faith in their own cognitive abilities because that they can't see a purpose that God might have. 
Additionally, Keller continues to argue, argue on an experiential level. And he says, most of us have to admit that difficult and painful experiences have shaped us and prepared us for success in life. He says this, with time and perspective, most of us can see good reasons for at least some of the tragedy and pain that, he, that occurs in life. Why couldn't it be possible that from God's vantage point, there are good reasons for all of them? Now, I just spent an hour before this morning in a community group, our, our Sunday morning community group meeting downstairs. And we, man, we jumped, this is our first meeting, we jumped head first deep by asking this first question. Share what is the deepest and hardest suffering that you've ever faced. That's one way to start some community, right? To get to know each other. And for the next 15 minutes, I just sat and listened. And this was really some very fast-paced vulnerability. Um, as one by one, they started sharing. And every single one of them ended by sharing testimony till this was suffering that I would have never chosen to go through, but God used it as a pivotal point in my life to shape me on the person that I'm becoming today. And so Keller argues similarly, they just proved the point that experientially, many of us can look back at our suffering and see, with given enough time and distance, how God is working even greater things than we could have imagined. I mean, it's similar to Joseph, right? You go through Genesis, and you see Joseph, who's sold by, by his brothers, and he goes and he's put in prison, and everything that happens to him, and you get to the end of Genesis, and God says this, what you meant for evil. I meant for good. So that Joseph going through it couldn't see everything that was going on, but at the end, looking back, could see that God was doing a marvelous thing that he would have never chosen, but it was the plan and will of God to bring about the redemption even of his own people. So why? And brokenness? We're experiencing some brokenness right now. I think we're good. We good? God's grace. Brokenness. Why is there so much brokenness? Why do we experience it? Well, on a simple answer, we live in a fallen world. Right? So if, if all of creation is groaning and broken, we experience suffering as a, as a result of living in a fallen world. But a, another reason why we experience suffering and brokenness is that, that we're also sinners. And we experience the consequences of our sin. Has anybody experienced suffering because they made a bad decision in life? You see, oftentimes we are the reason that we're going through suffering. But then third, others are sinners. And oftentimes, we even, Christians, experience the negative consequences of other people's bad decisions. Has that ever happened to anybody? Yes. So you may be thinking right now, okay, John, good job. You've shown that, that the presence of evil and suffering doesn't disprove God. But I still am suffering. And this stinks. 
Anybody there with me? Like some of you can think, yeah, that's cool, but that's cold and far off. Like I'm still experiencing suffering. Do, are we just resolved to just sit back and say, the reason suffering exists is because of sin and there's no hope for anything? Well, let's keep reading. Let's go back to 1 Peter 3. For Christ also suffered once for sins. The reason Christ suffered was to be, be a part of the solution to the problem of sin. But there is good news in these words. Christ also suffered. The second truth that I want you to get today from this text is this. God experienced suffering for you. So God is not the author of your suffering, and God has experienced suffering for you. God in the person of Jesus Christ experienced suffering. The good news of the gospel, and I like this, we can get to the good news, is that suffering and brokenness is not the end of the story. The end of the story doesn't end in Genesis 3 at the fall and them being kicked out of the place and the presence of God. You see, God promised even from the beginning that he would send a descendant and this descendant would come and rescue man. Kind. That person is Jesus Christ. He is the suffering ser- servant from Isaiah 53. He is the righteous who died for the unrighteous. He had done nothing wrong. He committed no sin, as 1 Peter 2, 22 says. He didn't deserve to suffer and die, but he willingly laid down his life. Think about this. God's plan for ending Sin, suffering, brokenness, and death involve the greatest evil ever done. So you're here today and you're wrestling through suffering and how do we respond? Well, I want you to just see this. The Son of God suffered for you and he didn't deserve it. We suffer as sinful human beings and we often deserve the suffering that we experience. Jesus did not. The greatest injustice ever done was the death of Jesus. And yet that was the very will of God. I mean, Jesus from the very beginning of his life knew that he came to die. Look at this with me. In Mark 8, 31, it says, And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. You see, in Jesus Christ, God experienced the greatest depths of pain in all of history. Just pause for a second. I want you to let that think in. Because in your suffering, you often say, nobody's experienced what I'm going through. Jesus, the Son of God, who never tasted the guilt of sin, suffered the greatest pain in all of history. We know this as the Gospels Describe this for us. We continue in the Gospels and we get to Matthew 26, 38. It says this, and he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch and pray 
with me. He continues and he goes on to the, the garden where he's praying and he's, the very next day he's going to face death. And it says, and being in agony, he prayed and more earnestly and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. He was in so much agony. It's describing his sweat was like blood, drops of blood. And then it says in verse 39, and going a little further, he fell on his face and he prayed, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. What's going on? God, this cup, if there's any other way, let there be it. If this, if this cup can pass, he's talking about the cup of God's wrath. You see, when Jesus went to the cross, his physical pain did not come anywhere close to comparing with the spiritual experience of cosmic abandonment that would even lead him to cry, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Let's get real. Have any of you cried that in the midst of your suffering? My God, my God, where are you? Jesus on the cross drinking the cup. For those of you that, that are new to Christianity, this cup, if you were to read through the Old Testament, you see this imagery of cup. And the cup was the cup of God's judgment and wrath. And you see this picture that this cup is being, is being filled up. Oftentimes God's judgment and wrath was poured up. But what we see here in Christ, that him going to the cross is that what he did on the cross, he wasn't just dying of physical pain. He was bearing the weight of millions of sins. He was drinking the cup of God's, of God's wrath to the very last drop. The Son of God who knew no sin. Can there be any greater agony than the loss of a relationship from someone that we dearly love. A parent, a child, a spouse. I mean, just, just think about that. Tim Keller says this, we cannot fathom, however, what it would be like to lose not just spousal love or parental love that has lasted several, several years, but the infinite love of the Father that Jesus had from all eternity. Jesus' sufferings would have been eternally unbearable. Let that sink in. Why am I highlighting this? Because it's important for you to know that what Jesus experienced on the cross is the worst suffering that anyone could ever experience. You will never experience a suffering any greater than what Jesus went through. And why did Jesus do it? I love Keller's summary on this. He says this, he had to pay for our sins so that someday he can end 
evil and suffering without ending us. That's why. Jesus went through and experienced the greatest suffering so that he could end suffering, your suffering, without ending you. Those are the options. If the reason suffering exists is because of our sin, well then what's going to happen is that one day, either we're going to pay the consequences for our sin with eternal separation from God, or you can come and trust in Jesus. And the beauty of the gospel in Christianity is that, yes, there's a ton of suffering, but God is not indifferent to suffering. Do you hear me? When you look to the cross, you can't go away and say, God doesn't love me. You can't look at the cross and say, God doesn't care about my suffering. God is not indifferent. Instead of pointing our finger at God and saying, why are you allowing the suffering? When we look to the cross, our questions actually change. And they change to say this, why would you do that for me? Why would you go through such loss and sorrow and death for me of all people? And I hear him saying, it is by my wounds that you are healed. When you look to the cross, you can't say God is indifferent or detached from your suffering. It's not like he's offering advice on your suffering, like from a distance. No, he stepped into humanity and experienced suffering that you will never experience. He cares about you that much. And so, man, if you've been exploring this Christianity thing, this is at the heart of the gospel. This is really why I think Christianity provides the best explanation for the world that we live in. Why is there so much sin and suffering? It's because of rebellion. It's because of sin. But God is not indifferent. He had a plan to send his son in the fullness of time to provide a solution. Christ suffered once for sins so that he might bring us to God. Sin separates you from God. Sin gets you kicked out of the garden. But Jesus' suffering brings you back into the presence of Christ. So if you want any hope in the midst of suffering, it is gonna be found to look and embrace that God suffered for you. And all you've got to do, let me just say this, you don't, you, you don't deserve this. I don't deserve this, which means there's nothing that we can do to earn it or get it. All you've got to do is come crawling on your knees before God and say, God, I am a sinner because of my sin. I deserve suffering, but you sent your son to suffer, and I want to be reconciled to you. Forgive me of my sin and give me eternal life. Repent and believe. That is the offer of the gospel. And you can do that right now. You can turn from your sin and you can believe in Jesus and you can cross over into life and hope today.
And you know what's great about this? Hebrews 4 summarizes this so beautifully. In verse 15, it says this, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Jesus can sympathize with what you've been through. But, but don't lose verse 16. He says, therefore, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And that leads me to my third truth that I want you to see today. God is not the author of our suffering God experienced suffering for you. And then third, God is present in your suffering. Do you hear the the response here in Hebrews 4? He says, let us draw near and find grace. God is present in your suffering. Going back to 1 Peter 3, Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might what? Bring us to God. When does Jesus bring you to God? The moment you believe. He pours out his spirit into your heart and the presence of God will never leave you or forsake you. And so the good news of the gospel for suffering right now is that I will never, ever, ever face suffering alone. In a book edited by John Piper called Suffering and the Sovereignty of God, John Piper says this, the ultimate achievement of the cross is not freedom from sickness, but fellowship with God. This is what we were made for. Seeing and savoring and showing the glory of God. So I think the three circles has been on the screen up here as we've been going through the service and we started with God's design and we saw how sin led to brokenness because of the gospel. If we repent and believe, look here, we can recover and pursue God's design. Jesus came to complete the circle to get us back to God. And so that in the presence, in the present right now, we can recover God's design as we wait one day for complete restoration. I mean, this is what makes verses like Psalm 23 so personal and comforting. You probably know it by memory. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil for you are with me. One of the greatest promises all through scripture is the presence of God. I mean, we could just trace it. Starting in Genesis all the way through that that Moses saying, I'm not gonna lead this people, God, unless your presence, unless your glory, unless you come with us. We see here David saying, I'm not a fear, no evil. You are with me. You know what we even have in the Great Commission? Go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, 
the Spirit, teach them to obey everything I've commanded you, and I am with you always to the end of the age. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord. So God is present even right now to do something greater in you through suffering. You say, John, what is that? What what does God want to do even right now? What is he present with me to do through suffering? And I'll say, first of all, God uses suffering to make you more like Jesus. Get it. Who experienced the greatest suffering ever? Jesus. And what does he say? Follow me. Take up your cross daily and come follow me. It is through suffering that God uses to make us into the likeness of Christ. After unpacking the gospel in Romans 3 and 4, when Paul gets to Romans 5, in verse 3, he says this, Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through what? The Holy Spirit who has been given to us, the presence of God. He's with me, his love through the Spirit. And what's he doing as I walk with the Spirit and his love through suffering is producing endurance. And endurance is producing character. And character is producing hope. Now let me give you a word of caution here. You may have shown up today looking for a quick fix to your suffering. And I've got some good news and I've got some bad news. The bad news, I'll start with that. Is that cool? The bad news is there are no quick fixes to suffering. And some suffering we face will have no remedy on this side of heaven. I can't bring back a lost family member, a lost loved one. The marriage may not be restored and reconciled if it's already been divorced and moved on and passed. There may not be that remedy on this side. There may be some some partial redemptions on this side, but there there may be no cure for the cancer that you face right now. I'm not holding out a false hope that there's a quick fix for everything that you're gonna face. In fact, you know what? You're all gonna die unless Jesus returns. That's bad news. God doesn't immediately intervene and make everything better. Why? Because he's more concerned to change you over time into a different kind of person. David Pallison, in the book Suffering and the Sovereignty of God, says this, profound good in our lives often emerges in the crucible of significant suffering. Often our typical sins emerge in reaction to betrayal, loss, or pain. Hammered by some evil, we discover the evils in our own 
hearts. So there's not a quick fix. But I do want you to know this. That doesn't mean God is not at work. The question then becomes not when is God going to end the suffering? And he may. And you know what? I'll, I'll challenge you to pray the same way Jesus prayed. When he was in the garden, what did he pray? God, if it, if it be your will, take this cup from me. But not my wills, your be done. And so, man, I got this from a great book, um, A Praying Life, who challenges, and he says this. Here, here's a great way to hold out the responsibility of man and the sovereignty of God. And he says, when you pray, ask boldly, surrender completely. Ask, God, heal me, remove my suffering. Because you know what? Does God have the power to do that? Yes, he does. And sometimes he chooses to do that and manifest his glory. And other times he doesn't. And I don't often know why. So ask and then surrender completely. Not my will, your will be done. So the question then becomes not how quickly is this suffering going to be gone, but how will I respond to my suffering so that God will grow me to greater maturity in Christ? I don't know where you're at today. I don't know the suffering you're facing. You may, you may have come today saying, you know what, I just want God to remove my suffering. And, and I want to say pray and ask boldly. But God may be telling you today, I want to change you into a different kind of person. And when you're ready, I'll get to work. And maybe your response to the sermon today is to say, God, have your way with me. Even if that means that I will endure this suffering for the rest of my life. Paul prayed for God to remove the thorns in his side, and God didn't. And yet, he said, my grace is sufficient. Draw near and experience God's grace. So God uses suffering to sanctify us. He also uses it to prepare us to comfort others. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul writes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts, comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction. Did you hear that? He comforts us in our affliction so we can comfort others in any affliction. Why not ask God today, God, what, how are you wanting to use me and redemptively in the life of somebody else who's experiencing suffering? And that may be what he's doing, is walking you down a path and teaching you how to grow in godliness and rely on his grace so that you can help somebody else who's experiencing the very same thing. But let me move on to my fourth and final truth that I want us to get. God's not the author of our suffering. God experienced suffering for me. God is present in my suffering. But finally, God will one day end all your suffering. 1 Peter 3, 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. In one sense right now, if you've responded and believed in Jesus, you have one foot in the new world. 
What does Paul say? You are a new creation, right? In one sense, I have been born again. I've crossed over from death into life. But in another sense, I've got a foot in this, in this broken world. So how do I live with one foot as a new creation and one foot in the old? And that's what we were just talking about, how God uses suffering even right now. But one day we're going to have both feet in the new heavens and the new earth. And we will be with God. You see, God has set a day when he will return and he will bring justice and vengeance to all evil. That's why Paul says in Romans 12, don't be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with what? Good. Leave it to the vengeance of God. God says, I will repay. Every injustice in this world will be made right at the return of Christ. And the only way to escape that judgment is to cling to Christ. But in addition to this judgment, the story from Genesis on is that God is about bringing his and restoring his great design. And so just as in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, we have the promise throughout scripture that there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. There's going to be a new creation. Read here with me in Revelation chapter 21. Where, where John writes, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first, first earth had passed away, and sea was no more. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. There is coming a time soon in this new heaven and new earth where there will be no brokenness. There will be no suffering. And that's why we pray, come, Lord Jesus, come. Does anybody long for that day? That day will be greater than anything than you can ever imagine. We continue in Revelation 22. John writes, No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and the Lamb of God will be in it, and His servants will will worship him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun for the Lord God will be their light and they will reign forever and ever. And he said to them, these words are trustworthy and true. A day is coming when you will be with God. Can I get an amen? You will see his face and there will be no more need for the sun for the glory of God will shine and nothing will be accursed and everything will be made new and you will worship him and you will reign with him. And this isn't some immaterial out of space. This is a physical new heaven and a new earth and you will have a new glorified body. When Jesus rose from the dead, 
When he died on the cross, he said, God, into your hands I commit my spirit. They put his body in the grave. Three days later, he raises from the dead. His spirit, body, reunited in a glorified body. And he spends 40 days on this earth. He eats food. They touch his hands. That is a picture of resurrection life. If you believe in Jesus, death isn't the end. Life is the end and eternal life, and a new heaven, and a new earth with a new, physical, glorified, 21-year-old body. That'll preach. Next week, I'm not done. I just want to give you a little, you may be wrestling with it. Next week, Tanner's going to come back, and we're going to look at what Jesus would tell us to do now on this side of heaven about social justice. Like, what would Jesus say about social justice now? Like, we know one day God's gonna bring justice, but but now, all of this brokenness and suffering, what should be our stature? But I want you to know this. The night of suffering can be long. But as Revelation 22 says, night will be no more, and the morning will come. And even when you don't feel like you can keep on going, know that Jesus empathizes with you. He will carry you to the end. If you don't turn to God in your suffering, where will you turn? Seriously. Where else are you going to go? What else is there? There is no hope anywhere else because of the gospel and especially the resurrection. We can endure suffering with powerful hope. We will one day get what we've always hoped for, but it will be so much greater than we could ever imagine. And so the main point that I want you to leave with is this. Endure suffering with powerful hope by embracing the reuniting purpose of the suffering of Christ. Endure You hear the word endure. Suffering produces endurance. Endure suffering with powerful hope by embracing the reuniting purpose of the suffering of Christ. And one day these ruins will come to life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we need your grace to help us to believe these truths that you really do know what we're experiencing in our suffering, that you do care, and that you are with us. Help us to believe that we will fear no evil, for you are with us. Help us to believe that your love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, And so that we can draw near with confidence to the throne of grace and find help in our time of need. And God, I know there's many today in here that are probably facing some pretty intense suffering. And God, they need to be comforted, not only by your grace, but by somebody else here. God, help us to be comforters. Holding out the comfort that you've that you pour out through us, through our suffering. God, would you redeem our suffering? 
God, would you show us purpose in the midst of it? And God, even as we cry out boldly that you would remove suffering, God, would you give us a faith to say, your will be done, that we would surrender completely. Come, Lord Jesus, come, we pray. Amen.